0: G'day, Alan Coller here for the Constant Investors Spotlight interview, and this week we've got Paul Retter, the CEO of the National Transport Commission. Now the National Transport Commission uh, was set up as a part of the COAG system, that is to say all of the um, state and federal transport ministers, uh, and its job is to deal with um, uh, recommendations on transport, and the one that they've been asked to look at, and they're really kind of focused on, is automated cars. Now this is uh, obviously a tremendously interesting technology area, but it's also a really important and interesting legal area. And so what the NTC has to do is um, make some recommendations about how the laws need to be changed to recognise the fact that a a human may not be in charge of the cars, because at the moment the laws all uh, assume that a human being is driving the car or the truck. And um, the question is, how do we change the laws to encompass the possibility that it's a computer program instead? Who is going to be responsible in the event of a crash and so on? So there's much to discuss. Um, The NTC is now asking for submissions. um, Up to you whether you want to put one in. But um, it's very interesting to see what the issues are and how the CEO of the NTC sees the future, uh, both from a legal and a technology um, perspective. Here's Paul Redder, the CEO of the National Transport Commission. Okay, Paul, so you're now uh, asking for submissions and input into what you're doing. The problem, uh, perhaps you could state it for us, is that the laws currently assume that drivers of cars are humans.
1: Alan, that's absolutely right. With the advent of greater numbers of vehicles which have uh, increasing levels of automation, the the key issue is that... Those laws, whilst they have been fit for purpose uh, uh, from a, a point of view of uh, human driving, don't recognise the fact that uh, in the future we may have automated driving systems uh, responsible for controlling those vehicles. And we've posed a series of questions in uh, a paper we've put out looking at our uh, driving laws to, to see... Uh, what uh, needs to be done to actually improve them.
0: Does it mean that, um, uh, at the moment, automated driving systems are illegal?
1: The issue is that the law does not recognise driving systems to the point where the human is no longer in control. We have a range of automated driving systems, we call them driving aids, already in, in the vehicles that many of us drive today. Whether it's lane keeping, emergency braking, adaptive cruise control. These are all forms of automation and they are accommodated within the law in the sense that we see them as helping the driver but it doesn't diminish the driver's responsibility. Where we go from a, a, a system where the driver effectively sits back and allows a an automated driving system to take over, uh, that's where we believe the law needs to change to accommodate those circumstances.
0: So the problem, I guess, is if there is a fully automated system and the car is driving itself, um, who? the question is who is responsible? Because under the law, an entity, a human entity, I guess, or perhaps a corporation, needs to be responsible for the actions of the car. Um, where do you think that's going to end up landing?
1: Well, I, I think uh, certainly the preliminary response to the discussion paper has generally agreed with us that we do need, under the law, to recognise an automated driving system entity. We believe that that will be possible to do because in conjunction with this work, we're also looking at the question of uh, safety assurance and putting in place, we hope, a system uh, which will identify which corporate entity should be held responsible for the automated driving system. The most likely contenders are car manufacturers and or entities appointed by them to oversee the automated functions of these cars.
0: So are you saying that if an automated car or a driverless car has a smash, uh, the, the manufacturer of the car is going to be responsible?
1: Certainly it is our view that the entity responsible for the automated driving system will need to be to some extent responsible for the performance and safety of that vehicle. There are related issues to do with how we're going to treat compulsory third party insurance and other such schemes and these are also matters that are currently under review.
0: Do you think think, the, uh, think the law is going to require that the driverless car actually has a human in it? with their eyes on the road or not?
1: It will depend on the type of uh, or the level of automation that exists. There are vehicles which are known as conditional automated vehicles where there is a requirement for a human to be, if you like, the fallback should the, the technology and the system uh, fail to operate appropriately or if the vehicle moves beyond the environment in which it's designed to operate. In those circumstances, the law will require that the human uh, sitting in the vehicle be prepared to take over when directed to do so. In other more automated vehicles with greater automation, levels of automation, that particular fallback role will be done by the system itself That will, and they will bring the vehicle or it will bring the vehicle to a stop in a safe location.
0: I think everyone's fantasy is um, sitting in the back seat with your eyes fixed on a smartphone while the car takes you to work or wherever you're going. Um, is, that, is that going to be possible?
1: Well, look, I, I think it is certainly something that manufacturers uh, are working very hard at and are spending billions of dollars looking at how they can design cars that can operate from end to end with the automated driving system in complete control and with uh, you and I sitting in the back doing whatever we need to do on our way to work or wherever. Uh, The reality is that uh, car manufacturers believe that they are some way off from this, and and it would be just pure conjecture, in my view, to suggest a date. What we do know is that vehicles with greater levels of automation are likely to arrive in Australia for commercial use in the market, uh, we think, from about uh, 2021 uh, or thereabouts
0: and what do you mean by greater levels of automation
1: well what i mean there is that the automated driving task that is the steering uh, the acceleration the braking of the vehicle will be for a large part of the journey available and possible for use in these more automated vehicles they will be what we would call not fully automated but to a point where for a large part of the journey one could activate the driving system and it would be responsible from getting that vehicle from A to B. But there will be, we believe, parts of the journey where the driver will need to reassume control given the limitations on the technology or the complexity of the environment that we're driving in. Um,
0: You often hear about the problem of... uh what what decision the car's going to make if it's got a choice between killing one person or killing three or four or five people and so on you know th- those kind of situations do you think the law is going to be able to encompass those sort of things
1: i think uh, the whole question of artificial intelligence machine learning and the ethics of decision making is a really complex area i'm not sure that The law will specifically deal with instances where decision A versus decision B was the right one. That may well be something for post-crash investigators and the courts to decide. What I can say, though, is that we know today that over 1,300 Australians are sadly killed on their roads and over 30,000 are actually seriously injured. Now, those figures cost the Australian economy close to $30 billion a year, not to mention the anguish, pain and suffering that the families of those loved ones go through. So my view is that automated vehicles, notwithstanding some of the ethical issues that we need to deal with, will actually uh, provide, hopefully, a safer environment for us to go from A to B without, uh, or with a reduced chance of a crash occurring due to a human error.
0: That cost you refer to is... um Uh, I suppose, not only the um, hospitalisation costs and so on, but also smash repairs and insurance costs. Do you think that the smash repair industry and the um, uh, automotive insurance industry are heading for trouble?
1: Look, I think that the whole question of how we ensure the roadworthiness of these vehicles from first arrival in Australia or manufacture... Through to a decision to take the vehicle off the road is a really complex issue. At the moment, there are quite extensive regulations related to the roadworthiness of vehicles, and also that feeds into how repairers and those who maintain vehicles actually interact with road users and owners of vehicles. We're looking at, as part of a safety assurance regime for these new vehicles, at what additional requirements, new requirements are going to be made. The question of whether their business models are going to be sustainable in the future is a really good one. I'm not sure I or anyone else can give you an answer to that. What I can say is that I believe the nature of how we deal with compulsory third party insurance, insurance insurance of comprehensive insurance and repair of these vehicles is going to change exactly how it will change, I think we're going to have to accommodate the new technology and adjust our business models as we go forward.
0: Um, it's also been suggested to me that um, uh, a lot of the pressure in, for automotive vehicles is coming from the commercial sector, which you know obviously makes sense to some extent. And um, I note that you're distinguishing in, your, in a lot of your work between heavy vehicles and light vehicles. Do, do you think that the pressure, uh, both to reduce costs and... Uh, that is to say, you know, driver costs um, and possibly um, you know repair costs, and also um, uh, someone suggested that uh, big trucks will be able to save fuel costs by travelling really close to each other uh, down the highway um, and achieving um, achieving um, slip uh, through driverless vehicles I mean do you think that in general the the heavy vehicle the freight industry is going to be kind of the first movers in this area?
1: Alan, that view is uh, is certainly shared by a number of people that uh, we 've spoken to both uh, overseas and and in Australia there's no doubt that if the premise is that automated vehicles are more efficient are safer, then it would be absolutely in the interests of the freight industry, the heavy vehicle sector, to look at what opportunities there are for these types of vehicles to be used in the Australian environment. My only cautionary point would be that in Australia, we have some of the most uh, innovative and productive heavy vehicles in the world. Indeed, we have many heavy vehicle combinations of vehicles that, quite frankly, far exceed the capacity of uh, vehicles in the United States and in Europe. And for that reason, uh, whilst I agree that what you referred to as slipstreaming, which uh, in the industry jargon is known as platooning, where you have two or three heavy vehicles travelling very closely together, is possible. I've actually had the opportunity to ride in one of uh, those vehicles uh, in Europe uh, last year. But but can I say that I've still got a question mark about how quickly there will be a take-up of that technology, in particular platooning, in Australia, given our very innovative fleet here what I would say though is that if we can put more automation into a vehicle say uh, for longer journeys where the driver is less involved in the driving let's say between Melbourne and Sydney along the Hume Highway I would suggest that that is both a good thing in terms of ensuring the vehicle is operating safely and also as efficiently as possible. In terms of platooning, the two vehicles operating together and slipstreaming, we think that uh, fuel efficiencies in the order of 6 to 10% have been demonstrated in Europe. And there's no reason to see that we couldn't achieve the same thing here in Australia.
0: I'll tell you what, it's hard to imagine anything more frightening than a B-double barrelling down the Hume Highway at 100 kilometres an hour with the driver asleep at the passenger side. (laughs)
1: Well, I would hope that the driver's not asleep, but uh, um, look, I think um, there's some time to go before we're going to see these sort of scenarios play out. What I can say is that anything that improves the safety of these vehicles, whether they're small or large, is something that we i suppose uh,
0: certainly uh, i suppose we... I suppose even more frightening is to see the driver asleep in the driver's seat. <laughs>
1: um, well, yeah, that's something we worry about today. Um, but that's the reality I mean. is, yeah, the, the reality is that uh, we travel long distances. We've got increasing pressures on on certainly the freight industry to move items very quickly from de- you know from port to uh, a destination, sometimes interstate. Uh, whatever we can do to make our vehicles safer on the roads has got to be good for everyone.
0: You're in your paper about. Um, that, that this work, your, the work you're doing, is one of seven projects uh, going on, five of which are being led by the National Transport Commission and another two by states and territories. I mean, are they all different projects? What are they?
1: Yeah, look, a, a bit of context, I suppose, is that back in late 2015, the Council for uh, Transport and Infrastructure, um, the various ministers there asked the National Transport Commission. To lead a program of work that would initially look at what were the barriers to um, uh, this this type of automated technology and other innovative uh, technologies uh, coming come into australia and and ministers are very keen because of the the benefits that automation could bring to to look at at uh, the regime that we have at, in place in present and what could we do to to, uh, to improve it so we have been looking at a range of issues we started with uh, trying to identify the barriers to automated vehicles and found that there were about 700 pieces of legislation or regulation around the country uh, that would need to be changed to accommodate automated vehicles the second thing we did was to develop some guidelines to allow the the trials and testing of these vehicles and that was uh, done last year that uh, those guidelines are now being used by all the jurisdictions who are involved in something like about uh, somewhere between 20 and 30 trials at last uh, count, looking at various forms of automation around the countryside. We are also looking at the issue of, as we've discussed today, changing our driver laws, but the other issues include looking at uh, the whole question of data. Obviously, automation... uh, is all about being able to communicate uh, with a between sensors, computers and technology requirements, be it infrastructure or otherwise. Now, one of the key issues for government will be what data will government require to be shared with government agencies? Let's take uh, a couple of examples. First of all, in the case of uh, an accident uh, or a crash, and an investigation, or indeed in the case of police, there will be certain types of data that need to be uh, collected by agencies. Like what? We've what, got a... what are we talking about? Well, um, one of the key issues might be, uh, at the time of a crash, was the automated driving system engaged or was the human in the vehicle actually in charge of the vehicle? That's just one simple example. The other issue might be Uh, that uh, road agencies might require that the automated driving system in certain circumstances be connected to, say, infrastructure on our highways so that we can better optimise and manage the flow of traffic on those uh, heavy routes. And that might indeed optimise our current infrastructure uh, and reduce some of the congestion issues that we've got in our major cities. We're also helping out... uh, with the jurisdictions looking at uh, the issues of exemption powers and compulsory third-party insurance. And that work is, as we've already touched on, complex, and we're hoping to have that work completed by sometime next year.
0: In one of the chapters, you proposed three possible approaches for le- legislative changes. What are the three?
1: Well, I suppose the way I would describe this is... To, to look at, firstly, do we need to change the law to actually acknowledge that we have automated driving systems that will be legally responsible and able to control our driving laws, or do we leave them as they are now?
0: But that's the not second, po- that's not possible. Is it? I mean, you can't, you surely can't have a um, a computer program legally responsible. Somebody's got to be, as you point, I mean, as you said at the start, somebody's got to be responsible.
1: Yeah, I, look, I, I agree, and um, certainly the the issue for us is that we need to ensure that as we go forward, we produce a solution which is nationally accepted by uh, all the governments and indeed consumers as being both sensible and practical. Other issues that we need to address yeah. that are in the paper the two, uh, yeah. relate uh, that relate to the issue of the automated driving system entity is to actually um, make sure that they are responsible for the, di- the dynamic dr- driving task obligation. So assuming that we agree that we're going to identify these entities in the law, we need to ensure that they are legally responsible for the safe operation of the vehicle, including compliance with the dynamic driving task, which is the keeping in lane, the acceleration, steering and braking we need to potentially do that via either creating a new act for automated vehicles or indeed modifying our existing legislation to accommodate these issues. Now, you know, while this is all pretty dry, it is important that from an Australian perspective, whatever solution we end up with, we take the automotive industry, consumers and governments on the same journey and present a uh, harmonised one-system approach to the future. I mean, Australia represents about 1% one to 1.5% one of the car market uh, globally, and the word from vehicle manufacturers is that if we want to see these innovative type of vehicles arriving sooner or sooner in Australia, uh, we need to have a national approach, a one-market approach, if you like, to how we uh, intend to regulate the, uh, the new and automated vehicles.
0: We'll have to leave it there, Paul. It's been great talking to you. Thanks. Thank you, Alan. That was Paul Redder, the CEO of the National Transport Commission, talking about driverless cars.